Welcome to The Writing Life, the podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Steph McKenna. And I'm James Gill. From the National Centre for Writing here in Norwich, England. This episode forms a part of our latest research pack for early career writers, which is on the theme of research. Head to the National Centre for Writing website and click resources to explore and download our full range of writer interviews, think pieces, top tips and writing exercises, all for free. In this episode, our friend Sam Ruddock from Story Machine Productions speaks to novelist Megan Bradbury about the role of research in writing. As Megan and Sam discuss, research for novels and other writing projects can go further than just reading, watching documentaries and doing Google searches. And Megan describes some of the more immersive and unusual methods that help her get inspired, build characters and develop the creative process. Megan herself was born in the US but grew up here in the UK. She studied at our very own University of East Anglia, graduated with an MA in creative writing in 2005. In 2012, she was awarded the Charles Pick Fellowship at UEA, and in 2013, she won an Escalator Literature Award and a grant for the arts to help fund the completion of her first novel, Everyone is Watching. The novel tells the story of New York City through the geniuses that have inhabited it, and you'll hear Megan talk about that later. Megan also took part in our Translating Science project, which paired writers with scientists, and Megan also describes that project later on. A quick note about Story Machine, who not only publish books, but create immersive experiences that bring books to life, including events at our own home here at Dragon Hall. You can find out more on their website, storymachines.co.uk. Before we get into their discussion, don't forget that it's your last chance to book one of our spring term online creative writing courses. Created in partnership with the University of East Anglia, these courses are the only online creative writing courses that include one-to-one tutor feedback. And you can take them in crime writing, creative non-fiction, poetry, script writing, historical fiction and memoir writing. There are a few places left for May, so head to nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk to find out more. And now, without further delay, we bring you Megan and Sam. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sam. It's lovely to speak to you. Thank you. How are you doing today? Yeah, really well, thank you. I'm so far surviving uh, Storm Eunice, so all is good, this, uh, this side of Norwich. How about you? Yeah, I can see the uh, the trees blowing in the wind outside the window, but apart from that, I'm, I'm pretty good. Good, good. And we're here to talk today about research and your the impact that research has on you as a writer yeah. and your top tips and your experiences of how research can shape and direct you in interesting ways in your writing. Great. So I want to kind of start with just talking about your debut novel, Everyone is Watching, mm-hmm. which for those of you who haven't, haven't read it already, you probably want to press pause now go to your local bookshop, buy it, and then <laughs> wait with eager, bated breath to, for it to arrive so that you can read it, um, because it is a fabulous book. Thank you, Sam. But really interestingly, for, for someone who was born in Norwich, or um, I think you were born in the States, actually, but I was, yeah, yeah. grew up in Norwich and lived most of your life in Norwich, it is a book set in New York about people who are long dead and who you've never known. How did you go about researching Everyone is Watching? And what were the key markers in that process for you? Well, the first thing probably, and I'm kind of sensing it in your question, is why why would you write about <laughs> why would you write about this um, coming from where you you do and growing up where you where you've grown up? Um, to me, the whole thing was fueled by a completely overwhelming interest in New York City. So I guess my first bit of research was um, me 
staying for a few months in New York back in uh, 2008. I was there for three months. Um, and when I got back to the UK, I was yearning for the to go back, really. I loved the place so much. I had such a great time. It was such an interesting place to be um, when writing and reading and just completely absorbed in, in the society there. I just had such a great time. So when I got back, I felt quite sorrowful um, and sorry for myself. And so consoled myself with reading about the city. I was lucky enough to be living in Edinburgh at the time. And so I had access to the National Library of Scotland, um, which has an incredible collection of American history books. Um, And so in all my spare time in the weekends, I would go to the library and I would just read quite randomly about New York. I wanted to read more about the places I'd uh, visited, the places that I'd seen and had really been really captivated by, but didn't know the history of. And the longer this went on, the more I realised okay, I found a subject now that I'm so interested in. I have to do something with this. I have to write about it somehow. Obviously, that's quite a daunting prospect. It's a city that's been documented in art for a very long time. It's it's a subject. It's not a new subject to the literary world. And so I spent a lot of time reading and thinking about what it was about this city that interested me, why it was I felt the way I did about it. And up until then, my writing, um, I'd written, I'd, I'd studied on the Creative Writing MA at UEA. I'd been writing for a long time, but I hadn't ever really found a subject that I was particularly passionate about. Um, I felt that I, my writing was quite competent. You know, I could write sentences nicely, but I had no passion. I, I had no idea really what I wanted to write about. And really, after going to New York, I realised that, oh, this is, this is actually a subject I can get my teeth into. This, this makes sense. This is a place I've been there. I've, I know what it's like physically on the streets. I can research some of its history. I can read about it. I can watch about it on films. You know, it's, it's a, a fantastic subject in that there's so much out there that you can uh, reach for to, to find out information. And being uh, quite a sort of <laughs> a sad student, I was going to say, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of taking notes and I've always loved courses and education that allowed me to kind of make notes and research things from sort of primary sources and secondary sources. So I just applied that knowledge I'd learned at university uh, to this subject. And for about a year or so, 18 months, I was in the National Library of Scotland um, reading about New York, reading about art, the history of art in the city, the reading about architectural changes in the city, basically everything and making notes, not really with any plan or knowledge about what I was going to do with all this information. And then after some time, I started to review what I'd written and began to see patterns and themes that connected to one another. And that really excited me. This was this hadn't happened before. I've never had a subject because I've never studied kind of a subject for a fictional project before. I've, I've never worked this way. And so I started to get really excited about the connections between the cultural figures I was reading about. And as a way to really understand them a bit more, I started to do kind of off the cuff free writing exercises with with these figures as sort of the central characters. And it started off really as just a bit of fun, just a way to try and access the subject a bit more intimately. But I found that having being able to write with with a, a sort of spur in mind, with a sort of an agenda in mind, rather than thinking about a project just in terms of fictional characters and dramatic plot which is how I thought about it up until then, with, with, with a, a sort of firm subject. The writing just uh, was completely different. It was um, engaging. It was interesting. It was a completely new style for me. Um, and, I, and so I, I just went with it. I was doing more and more of these ad hoc notes, scenes. I started, it was really Robert Moses, the urban planner, uh, uh, New York urban planner, 
<clears throat> that set me off on this course. I read an incredible book called The Power Broker by Robert Caro, which is an absolutely astounding biography of his career. And because that book, although it's a biography, is written with such thrilling prose and it's really quite novelistic in the techniques that he uses, I kind of felt inspired to to kind of get in there and sort of try to fictionalise this man who was so interesting to me. So I started putting Robert Moses in kind of odd situations just to see what would happen and, and I really liked the writing that came out of those sessions. It all began with Robert Moses and I, I, I started to think about, you know, what a city's for, who it's for. These are the kinds of questions that his career and his work inspires and is something that Robert Caro has written a lot about. And so I applied those questions to other figures who I knew were associated with the city. I started to read about uh, Walt Whitman, who I understood was an urban poet, but also a poet very much interested in natural processes and whose poetry is really inclusive of all the different facets of city life, which was a point of view that was very different from this very Robert Moses, very blinkered view of what a city is for. He saw a city as kind of a a problem to solve with regards to transport. He built a lot of bridges, he built a lot of freeways. His idea of what a city was was not for the person on the street, it was for kind of a system around which cars travel. So it was a very interesting perspective to consider alongside Walt Whitman's poetry, which is very much centred and focused on people and emotions and, you know, connections between people and what can what can become of, of people living together and loving together. And so I love that. So I started writing with those things in mind. I was putting, you know, Walt Whitman in scenes, Robert Moses in scenes. The Whitman passages led me to Robert Maplethorpe, who I understood was uh, a photographer who lived in New York. I didn't know much about him until I started reading more. And I knew his artwork, which is very sexually explicit. His work tells an interesting story of the city, basically. It starts off very rough and ready, very unneat, inquisitive. He used he used to make jewellery. He, he took Polaroids of his friends, very kind of uh, rough and ready work. And then as his career progressed into the 1980s, his photography became very slick, mostly taking place in the studio. Um, and to me, this, this arc, which was described really beautifully in Patricia Morris Rowe's biography of him, his career really follows the trajectory of the city from being a very dirty, bankrupt, uh, difficult place in the 1970s um, and becoming, you know, this sort of gleaming, gentrifying metropolis in the 90s and beyond. And so I was interested in that that arc and began to write a lot about, about those things. And I came to Edmund White, the writer Edmund White, really just as um, a way to try and get some background information on the gay liberation movement of the 1960s and 70s in New York. I started reading about him really as a way to understand Mablethorpe's perspective a little bit more from that time, but found in, from reading uh, Edmund White's wonderful novels and also his memoirs that, that his his voice was essential to, to the story I was trying to tell, which is to try and convey how a city, all the different iterations a city will go through and all the different changes that New York went through throughout the 20th century. What I wanted to do was try and give um, give a perspective from the present day. And so to use Edmund White as a character in the, in the novel to try and convey what it must be like for someone with his history to be living in a city that has been tidied to such a degree that has been um, that has become as rich as it has, and that that to me was was the final character. That was uh, when I when I came to Edmund White. I thought, okay, these are my four four characters. So the research I did, 
I mean, if I was to describe that they, these these are all the people and all the themes that the book is about, it suggests an awful lot of research and there was an awful lot of research, but actually the book came about through the research. I didn't decide to write this book and then go to the library and, you know, look up all the pieces I needed to look to answer certain questions. Really, the book came about through me stumbling on this research and then turning the notes and turning the scenes that I'd written into into a book. <laughs> so that that's really how it how it happened. So there was a lot of a lot of reading, a lot of note taking I was then able a few years later to return to New York. I, I won a, an Arts Council grant, which um, allowed me to pay for another research trip. But by that point, really, the book was pretty much uh, finished. It was pretty much written. Um, but I wanted to return to the city to check a few of the locations, interview some people, um, and really feel like I had covered everything that I needed to cover in order to tell the story I wanted to tell. And so this the sort of last part of the research before at least the fact checking began um was to physically return to the city and and visit some of the places i'd written about and kind of handle some material so i went to um the new york public library they they have the robert moses papers they also have the walt whitman archive and there i, I really just picked things from for example from the walt whitman archive that that would be more like um talismans i guess so i saw a they they have a lock of his hair, for example, which which I was able to not touch the hair, but touch the box it was in, and it was just incredible. I was sitting there, so I'm in the middle of New York, I'm in New York Public Library, is what women's hair? What am I doing? This is crazy. <laughs> this is absolutely brilliant. And I found that the research I did really in New York, although it didn't really give me any more information than I had already, it really helped me kind of connect in a this sounds silly, but in kind of a, a magical way with these subjects that I'd written about for so long. It's a brilliant answer, and thank you so much for that fulsome description. You, you started that by saying that I was questioning why you would choose to write a book about New York, but actually it was completely the opposite. I love that you, you know, that you followed your your passion and your creative whim to create a book that you wanted, and the idea that yeah. research can be driven by a passion, but then that re- that very passion for re- for the research can then drive you finding a subject to write about, I think is really interesting. That's exactly what it was like. And that's exactly what changed for me was realising that actually the kind of writing I'd done before, where I really did feel that actually all you do is you sit down and you start inventing a character or, you know, scenario. Um, I've always struggled to do that. And I really thought it was because I couldn't do it. But I realise now that actually I just can't start. I can't start from a position of drama or character in the way that I had assumed he did. Um, I have to start with books or an idea. I have to read quite randomly until I get to the point where I see a pattern in what I'm reading or what I'm watching or what I'm listening to. There has to be some kind of um, propulsion, some kind of rhythm to it. And as soon as I can see a pattern forming, and this takes, but this takes a long time, so it's, it's not sort of an easy thing to do, but that's my way in. Um, as soon as I see a pattern emerging, but I need I need the research first. I can't just sit down and start inventing. The project I'm working on now is very different in that it still involves history. It's still about American history. Um, this time I'm I'm writing in part about the Oregon Trail, although it's set the book is set in the present day. But there's a character who uh, travels across America, kind of following the the Oregon Trail. Um, so it's a lot about that history, but it's also about environmentalism and motherhood and, and lots of other things. Um, but this book, because it has fictional characters, the, the characters aren't based on 
real biographical people as my first novel was, I had to basically kind of start writing the research that I would use to write the book, if that makes sense. I had to um, kind of start from scratch. The the beauty of, of my first novel in a way, although it took a long time to write, was that the stories of the people had already been written because they existed. So the, the question was, what parts do I use and how do I put it together? But this time round, I'm having to invent the people as well, as well, which is really difficult. But for me, I have to... So, so the research for me now is not necessarily based in accessing libraries or archives as it was before. Um, I still read a lot about these subjects um, and I get books out of the library and things. But, but the research in this case is my own writing, is my own notes, is my own scenes. That's providing kind of the body, the, the kind of... Um, the body of, of work that I'm drawing from in order to to write from, if that makes sense. Um, and so it's quite a different process, but actually the way I'm going about it is very similar. And I think that this is just how I work. It, it's kind of odd, but it, it seems to work this way. That's a really interesting idea that I've never thought about before, that you could almost use your own drafts as a process of research, that by reading and rereading your own scenes you're essentially recreating the research, the real research you did, or not real, that's the wrong term, but, you know, the, the factual research you did in the past to further flesh out and build the characters that you want yeah. to write about. Yeah, and it's like, it's, it's kind of a process of dissociation. I try to, when I'm writing, I can't, I, I've learned that I, I shouldn't allow any kind of objective commentary in my head when I'm writing so I've learned to either sit down to write or sit down to review what I've written and when I sit down to review what I've written I'm trying to treat it as if it's a separate document written from someone else and I have to make use of it somehow so the question is how do I do that what is in this if anything that I can use take out lift out develop a bit further and so it's kind of like a game really where I'm where I'm writing things and owning it and then kind of pretending it wasn't me (laughs) and that seems to work well because I think quite often like I'm a really messy first draft writer and I never know what I'm going to write when I sit down it's always a surprise and in fact if I sit down with a particular agenda it never works out well it's just it's just really formulaic and it's not particularly interesting so I have to kind of catch myself unawares and this so this process of it's either a form of like translation or filtering thoughts uh, and allowing them to kind of spill out as they are and using a, a later date to to sort of see if there's anything that can be salvaged from it. And to what extent then, given what you're saying there, is research a, partly a process of easing anxiety of the white page, um, you know, of helping you snittle into the writing so that you feel safe in the story? Yeah, it's exa- that's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. It's, it's absolving myself of any responsibility whatsoever, either to produce anything finished you know when I sit down to write I know now that whatever it will be will not be finished for a very long time so there's no point even kind of trying to trying to do that in one session but also I need a long time in between drafts and readings in order to actually understand what on earth I'm talking about so yeah I I think I spent a lot of time I use this analogy, which is a bit silly, but um, when I was at high school, I was very interested in uh, visual art and I was quite reasonably competent at copying pictures and and things. So I really liked doing art school. Um, But my art teacher always used to say, like, I never did preparatory sketches. I never made a mess on the page. I never did the things that you were supposed to do that, that allowed you to develop your ideas and produce kind of a final piece of visual work. I went straight for the final thing. 
and I wouldn't sketch. I would, you know, I would draw things very definitely in terms of the outline and kind of fill it in and stuff. And he was like, so this stuff was okay. And when you're copying pictures, you can kind of work this way. But he was like, you're never going to kind of get into your imagination unless you accept like making a mess. Um, but I, I've resisted that for so many years. And it was only in writing everyone is watching that I realized that you have to, you have to make a mess, but it's not, it's not a mess. Like I'm not reading my notes being all squeamish um, about what I've written because I've learned now to look at them in terms of what potential they have for me rather than, Oh, I can't write a sentence. This makes no sense. So I've, I've switched off the judgment and obviously there's a point where you have to switch the judgment back on again when it comes to editing, but I've learned not to do that until way, 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 way down the line. Like there's no point me trying to perfect sentences if I haven't got to the nub of the thing. Um, and that takes a long time for me. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Some it's, um, it's completely to avoid that being sort of stunted. Um, and it's it's kind of like, I, so I do a lot of free writing. I use an um, electronic uh, typewriter, which doesn't have any other functions on it. And it doesn't let you edit what you've written um, in order to get first drafts down. I can do that really quickly. Um, and I really love that because obviously there's no responsibility about what you produce. It's really great. And then... I'll let that sit for a while and come back to it another time and and again sift sift through um what I've done and it and it's just yeah it's it's far more I find it far more freeing but the, the disadvantage of this of course is that it takes you know you're not being very efficient with your time because you're not really guiding what you're what you're doing <laughs> you're kind of relying on happenstance and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't so it's not necessarily a method for everyone but it's completely changed how I work and I would never go back to what I did before which was you know sitting down to write with my writing hat on and you know trying to form sentences that make sense or trying to think about everything at once I've, I've learned not to do that that's so interesting you know you talk about visual arts and one of the things that I've been really inspired by in my own creative practice has been the the way that often visual artists particularly will talk about their practice and the impact that their practice has on what they produce and using that as a way to get away from that absolute anxiety of getting it right. And I think one of the challenges with research can be that we use it as a as a tool to get things right and to try to control what we're doing. But for me, my creativity was unlocked quite a lot when I started to tell people and say to myself that I had an improvisational approach to to creativity so that I'm focused on the, the fact that I had nothing to start with and I have something and that's what matters rather than the pressure to produce brilliant stuff from the get-go, which absolutely relate to what you said about trying to trying to jump straight to the end goal rather than do those steps in the way. And yeah, I find that so empowering. What you were saying just made me consider how yeah, how how clear that seems to me now, but when you're in the midst of it, it's quite difficult to know that. I mean, you know, I'd studied creative writing, I did it as undergraduate I did it um as a master's degree so you know I've studied the theory of it for a long time but with creative writing as opposed to visual art writing working practice isn't something that people talk about um and it's kind of a myth I think it, quite often when one goes to a literary event and hears an author speak it's quite common to hear the summary of how a book came to be as a writer is talking that it's, it's quite tempting for writers to kind of suggest that it just kind of happened 
you know, that, that there wasn't necessarily an approach to it, that it just, you know, a character spoke to them or a story spoke to them. And that always used to really depress me because that never happened to me. That doesn't ever happen to me. But I understand, I mean, that might be true for some people, but I think I think for the large part, writers do the messy approach. and But perhaps they don't always know that they're doing it. And perhaps a lot of this, the research and the thinking, which I consider part of the writing, I don't see it as like a separate process is something that they segment and separate from the writing itself. Um, everything I, I try and do tries to include everything. So include the reading, include the notes. And it really changed for me when uh, around about the same time as um, when I was researching, everyone is watching, I was li- and living in Edinburgh. I, I took up um, or, or began to do long distance running, which was something that I, I exercise and me have not been friends throughout my life. And I really wanted to have a go about it. So I, I you know, researched how, how do you go about it? And, and obviously the, the way that it, the easiest way into it is to build up very slowly is to warm up obviously. And then you do lots of uh, walking, running, walking, running over kind of a period of time. You can do this on the, like the couch to 5k program is a really good example of how that works. Um, and I realized that writing is exactly the same. So you can't just go out and run like 10 kilometers if you've never um, well, even if you do run regularly, you can't without training. You can't just go out and run run that distance. You have to build up to it, and you have to get a pace going. And so, for me, the the, the sort of the warming up and the and the pacing and the sort of getting prepared for it all is is the free writing. It's all the the early writing, the closer to the to finish line for the. This is an awful analogy. I'm really sorry. This is really crass, but it, it makes sense to me. The closer the finish line the book gets, you know, that's your finished race. You know, that that's it. And then and then you've done it and then it's done. But the next time you race, you have to start again and you have to start again from scratch. But I, I do think it I do think it's helpful for writers, particularly writers who are starting out to, to think about their process, to think about it as a visual artist would, as a way to get over this this anxiety about the blank page, but also to free up the writing, to try and access the imagination perhaps a bit more freely be less worried about where a story's going. And and as soon as you start to relax, it's the same with running. As soon as you relax, you don't force it. It's enjoyable and it works better. It, it's just more efficient. It works better. You're, you're absolutely right. It's um it's an important part. I think part of the problem, it's not a problem as such, but I think it's a the result of of creative writing courses perhaps being studied alongside English literature programmes in a university environment as opposed to an art school, which obviously there are creative run courses in art schools as well, but for the most part, it's within an academic environment. And, and academia and the study of literature, although it informs writing, is a very different discipline. And the kinds of muscles you're using, I feel, is very different. Um, and it can be quite confusing. And I think I found this quite confusing, studying creative writing you know, alongside English literature, with it being presented at that time as being part, you know, kind of like two sides of the same coin I realize now that isn't true or it's not true for me that isn't that isn't a helpful way in a more helpful way in is what I imagine it's like at art school I've never been there so I don't know but what I imagine it is with kind of experiment and getting messy you know that's a difficult thing to teach on a course it's a difficult thing to try and get into when really you're there to sort of learn the editing process and how to look at a piece of work objectively what things to to identify that might need fixing it is it's a very different kind of atmosphere um and for me it, it took a long time to sort of not for, not forget what i'd learned on my courses because the courses are completely instrumental to all the writing i do now but i did have to kind of distance myself from that perfectionism that i think courses can instill and i had to 
throw caution to the wind and just get messy and pick a re- ludicrously ambitious and difficult subject <laughs> to, to really understand how the process works. Uh, yeah, and it completely changed, completely changed my life doing that. So that brings us really nicely to a more recent act of research that you've done, Megan, where you've been involved in one of National Centre for Writing's projects, Translating Science, which has been a partnership between National Centre for Writing and Norwich Research Park, which has been about creating relationships between scientists and writers to learn from each other's practices and to create opportunities for writers to respond to and bring alive the research to different audiences. As part of that, you were paired with Professor Peter Wilde. And a lot of the things you've been talking about here in in your answers so far, I've really recognised how important they were in what you produced and how you went about engaging with that project as well. And I wonder if you might talk about kind of how you managed to use sort of you you had two two opportunities to meet. I think they were both online um, because of COVID and the chance to read some materials. But otherwise, so it was quite a focused period of research. But I'd love to hear how that how how you found that research process and how it informed what you produced. Oh, it was it was really great. I I, I love collaborating on projects uh, and I've done it. Uh, a, f- a few times with um, with mainly with with other artists, a visual artist or sound artist. Never before been paired up with a scientist. So I was really intrigued by how this was going to work, and I, I knew from previous collaborations that the best approach to it really comes from being open minded about you know what's going to happen and how you're going to meet and what's going to be uncovered. So I, I kind of went into it not really not with any expectations, although I assumed what I assumed would happen was I would meet with with a scientist, we'd talk about what they did, and I would just find a way to write about what you know their research and be quite straightforward but actually it was far more interesting what happened was far more interesting so we got together online not just being paired with one scientist we we had a a group session where um with the scientists and all the writers um and all the scientists gave a presentation about their research um a a little sort of short snippet about what they did then we had some kind of writing exercises to try and access and and think about that and what, what i was clear about from the beginning was that i was going to because we were, it sounds quite kind of crude. What I wanted to do was, because we were talking about science, and I know science involves data uh, and involves research. What I wanted to do was kind of record as we were, you know, write write notes as we were going throughout this day. Uh, anything that you know that interests me about what people were saying, but also any kind of you know pieces of short pieces of fiction or anything that came to me, I wanted to keep a record. So I did that as we were as the presentations were being um, given. And then we had some creative writing kind of exercises where we were asked to kind of, I guess, riff on, on the things that we'd heard, um, choose one of the presentations and kind of write a bit about that and try and get into it a bit more. So so I, so I did all the, these things. And by the end of the day or the session, the afternoon, I had a few thousand words really from, from that session. So I put that away for a while. And then we were paired up with the scientists and um, I was paired up with Pete. We decided... To, uh, we met up online again to talk a bit more about his research and I talked a bit about what the sorts of things that had come out of our discussion that seemed interesting me to, interested to me and seemed to kind of fit with what I understood his research to be. So that took, uh, and again, I, I, I took notes and, and added to the document that I already had begun. Um, and then I left, left that document to one side for a little while. I had the kind of advantage of having a baby in the middle of all of this. So that really did allow me to to approach the 
piece of writing completely fresh because by the time the baby was born and I'd kind of recovered, I didn't have anything else in my head. So, so I returned to the document once we were settled. And what I really wanted to do was try and include as closely as possible the sorts of things I'd been writing throughout the day. So I didn't want to take the sort of data or the research necessarily and turn it into um, a story. I wanted to use the writing as closely as I had written it in the document and try and find a pattern and try and find a rhythm of a piece that would work. So the piece I, I wrote really is, is a combination of things. It includes some of the creative writing exercises we did on the day without many without many changes. And then some of the standalone um, sentences and sections are pieces that I've kind of uh, thought a bit more about and tried to connect with some of the themes that came up in the day. So what, one of the things that interested me was in talking to Pete about his research into nutrition and um, food structures and how that affects how our body works, to me seemed completely linked to all of the other presentations, which were all about all different sorts of subjects. So we talked about um, soils as ecosystems. We talked about uh, blast furnace, uh, sorry, blast furnace, blast fungus um, in crops and crops deteriorating. We talked about um changes in climate change and things like this and what really struck me was this question of how diversity in all of those areas is really important some of the conversation became a bit political we talked about how the um, distrust of scientists the distrust of experts we talked a bit about the brexit referendum how that affects um, how brexit could potentially affect funding uh, science research funding that's previously been supported by eu money Um, so all these all these kind of themes were sort of floating around and to me it really felt like it was all connected so I wanted to write something that talked about diversity but I wanted to expand it from diversity of you know soils and nutrition and to talk about diversity of populations hinting about how that affects people and and groups and society so I mean it's a very light touch on all those things because it's only a short piece but that's that's how it came about it was through listening to what was said being quite free about what I was writing and then going back and trying to see a pattern um, of an argument or a pattern of an idea that I could form into a piece of writing. Um, so it's, it's quite similar to my normal process, but obviously the the sorts of things that you come to in collaborations like this are completely unknown from the beginning. You, you can't orchestrate you know, what people are going to say. You don't know what people are going to say. Um, and I really enjoy that about collaborations because you always end up producing something you didn't expect. Um, and that's what happened here. And it really ties in with what you were talking about earlier, almost as collaboration as an act of research or rather research as an act of collaboration, that you're embracing research for the joy of discovering what for what you'll find out rather than for the outcomes you already know you want um, and using that, therefore, as a voyage of, of expo- exploration. And I think the way that that relates back in everyone is watching is that the experience that you talked about for of writing a piece um, as being about discovery is exactly the same experience that the reader has Um, obviously you've curated and and, um, codified and all sorts of things that story but essentially the I think I I get a real feel for the passion and the enthusiasm for learning and for discovery and for finding out about these people as a reading experience as a reader which is exactly what um, you talk about having as an experience as a writer and the same is true for for translating science where what your piece does so beautifully is it almost steps into the environment and takes the reader by the hand and says 
don't worry. I know you don't know what happened here, but I'm going to take you through it and I'm going to guide you along this process. And together we're going to discover. I think that's a real joy as a, as a reader because it's, it creates a real authenticity, but it also means that the practice that you're engaging in throughout is not just reflected in the content, but in the emotion or the feel or the texture of, of what is ultimately produced and what you're ultimately reading. And that feels like a very engaged and just just a very a very good process. It's it's really that's so it's so kind. That's so, that's such a nice thing to say. I'm really and I'm grateful. I mean, I can't really know really what the reading experiences of any of my pieces, uh, stories, books. I mean, because you can't you can't you can't know it, and you invest so much time in it that you um, you can try to look at it objectively but you can't ever really know but to me it was it really touches on this I've always loved writing I played I since a child this is why I studied at university this is why I've always done it there's something there's something about it and I it's kind of odd to have a drive in a in a subject that you you're not entirely sure what your motives are given that I haven't ever written uh, the stories I wrote previously to everyone is watching weren't particularly interesting or at least looking back now they don't seem very interesting but there's obviously something in the writing process I've always enjoyed and to understand that actually it can be used as a way to learn about subjects that interest me but not just as an excuse to you know read lots of books or watch lots of you know documentaries or whatever um, about these subjects but to actually get in there and to and to you know fling things up and connect things that perhaps aren't obvious things to connect is 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 quite tangible it, it feels three-dimensional the, the whole process feels three-dimensional as it's so incredibly satisfying and so learning to work in this way really has changed my writing entirely but it's also changed my life to a degree because I understand now that in order to kind of get to the nub of something that is it is about process it's about how you think about stuff and it's about kind of being kind to your own work and looking for opportunities in it um, and all these kinds of changes of the way I've the way my writing in this way has changed how I think about things has affected all, all manner of areas of my life and I'm so incredibly excited about that because you know this is only after I've only published one book <laughs> and I'm writing a second but you know hopefully there's many more years and many more subjects where I can do the same thing and you know if I can sustain a career doing this I'm going to be a very happy and I'm a happy a very happy woman and research research is 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 part of it I mean this is my favorite when when talking to people about writing this is my favorite subject to talk about because to me it's it's the key it's this is how this is how it happens so I'm really glad and the, the translating science the, the, the whole the whole project was such a fascinating opportunity to see what could be done to see how the process could affect you know what is written and that was something that was one of the questions I think uh, we were asked at the beginning of the session to ask uh, sorry to answer why you know why we were interested in doing this collaboration and the answer I had was to see what it does to the writing to see what kind of doors it opens in terms of thinking about ideas and how you incorporate them and how to write how to not exploit but how to, how to use the skills I have which aren't I say that it sounds like I'm being I'm not being modest that aren't typical I as I said I, I I don't really consider myself a storyteller I don't I'm not you know suddenly moved by the suggestion of a character that I then have to get down or you know it's, it's not that way around it's all about 
how to connect ideas and how to convey the difficulty of that almost on the page. That's that's what I realise now is is what I'm interested in. Um, and so this project particularly has been really insightful and has really helped me understand my process, which is then then contributed to me writing, you know, helping me with my, my second book. And so it's opened a lot of possibilities with my novel that I'm writing at the moment. So I'm very grateful for it. I sort of imagined when we started this conversation that we'd be very much focused on tools and tips and techniques for writing. And I love that our conversation has taken a much broader um, direction <laughs> in looking at the philosophy of writing, looking at the the way the the impact of the approach we take. And I feel, I feel instinctively like it's a, a very enabling approach that you're suggesting to research and a very a very useful tool well i hope it's i hope it's encouraging because i i I mentor writers and we talk a lot about writing process and i always find it really interesting because to me that's it's not just the key for me i think it's the key for lots of writers and the writers i work with are very very talented and their work is very good But, but often the difficulties come through come through process questions rather than you know writing ability um it's about how how do you follow an idea? How do you how do you uncover an idea? How you chase it? How you form it? How you then almost disconnect yourself with the research and focus purely on the writing that you've done? What you do with that? Then the stages of, of how that goes like that is is important to every, everyone I work with. That's a that's an essential part of um, what we talk about. And I I feel very so when I talk at sort of literary events and um, when I was promoting everyone is watching. I wanted to be sure, uh, certain from the beginning, that the way I talked about how it came about is was truthful. That I didn't then pretend that oh, you know, I had this idea that I wanted to write about New York as told through the points of view of real biographical. You know, that's not the truth. That's not how it was written. It was all, it was all really messy. It was all completely random. And I, I'm very clear about telling people that because <clears throat> that's the way in for people. That's how that's how it, it's created. And I think that it, I think it is hopefully that will help people to progress with their own work when they realize that actually the process isn't precious it's the opposite it's incredibly rough and the way people work is very weird and you really have to just embrace that and go with it so that's usually what I try to advise other writers to do and and hopefully that will introduce people to all sorts of subjects that they didn't think perhaps they could tackle I think that is a an absolutely perfect place to end with Megan Bradbury thank you so much for this conversation your your wisdom and your insight into process of research and how research can be used to drive engagement and excitement for you as a writer in what you're producing is I think full of full of gold thank you Sam thanks for having me a big thank you to Megan and Sam for that insightful discussion Thanks also to the Arts Council England for supporting our early career writer resources. And of course, thank you to you for listening. If you have any questions or you want to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Writers Centre. And you'll find us on Facebook by searching National Centre for Writing. Don't forget to sign up to our weekly newsletter by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and clicking the orange drop down box on the homepage. As a UK registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. You can make a donation over at the website by hitting the support us button in the top nav. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast because it helps other people to find us. Thanks again. Keep writing. 
and we'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>